Welcome into Crossing Broadcast, the number one live streaming Philadelphia sports podcast or show or whatever you want to call this. But welcome in. I'm happy that you're here. I'm happy that Craig is on the other side of the glass, right on the other side of the studio. I turned the camera around, but I can't. But if I could, you'd see Craig. He's on the other side of the glass. He's looking dapper today. You might be looking dapper too, or maybe you're not. Maybe your hair is askew. Maybe you've got a hat on. I, I was just wearing a hat, and then I thought to myself, I put out like a little video about today's show, and I went, I've worn that same hat for like two or three promos in a row, and I probably should like put a little bit of effort in. So I combed my hair. This is my commitment to you, all of you who watch live on Crossing Broad's YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook page. If you're listening in the aftermath of whatever happens on this show on the podcast feed, you don't get to see you, you don't get to experience it. But the sultry, the dulcet tones of my voice, let them carry you into this week. And there's a lot to get to. Remember how last week I was like, oh, there's nothing good to talk about because there were no real big games. It was the all-star weekend. We only had Chris Sims acting like a dumbass again. And I was like, yeah, there's really not that much to get into. This week was like the karmic payoff. It was like you go through, remember, remember Tim, Tim Robbins at the end of uh, Shawshank? Spoiler alert. I mean, it's been a long time. But you remember Tim Robbins' character, Andy Dufresne? And then Morgan Freeman says a thing about like, uh, Andy Dufresne, the only man to ever climb through three football fields of shit, but come out on the other side smelling as fresh as a, as a rose. Whatever it was. That was what it felt like doing this show last week and then looking at what we have to talk about today. There's so much to do, and I love that Ford is here with a good line, get busy living or get busy dying. It's true. This was me, and you can ask Craig. Well, you can't because he's, he's not really fully interactive here on the show, but seriously, when, when he and I talked about the show today ahead of time, I went like, this feels good. This feels right. The cleansing rains of sports have rained down upon us for today's show. Now, let's be real, though. It ain't all good. It's not all great here in Philadelphia. It has not been a great sports weekend, but we're going to make it great. We're going to make Philly sports great again. No, we're not. The, the weekend was a kind of a mess. If we're being real, it was sort of a mess. Now, the Phillies are back, and maybe that gets you excited, and we'll talk about the Phillies a little bit later on. I talked to somebody who might be joining me next Monday as a guest, just to kind of break up the monotony of it just being me. But, like, we'll see. And it's probably somebody who has a little bit of a, of a better feel for what exactly people should get excited about with the Phillies, but we'll talk about them a little bit later on. Cam Newton got jumped. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. The ultimate F around and find out. We'll get there in a little bit. Ice football is apparently a thing. We'll talk about that as well. We're going to talk about the Sixers losing to Doc freaking Rivers. We have to talk about that. And Doc had some great things to say because I don't know if you knew this or not. It's kind of, kind of fitting because we're in Lent. Um, apparently, Doc Rivers also tried to tell Jesus about Judas. Um, I saw that going around Twitter as well. So I'm like, all right, well, Doc had some interesting things to say. We'll get there. But I want to start with the biggest story in town. And it wasn't the Flyers losing back-to-back -back games, which we'll also get to. No, the biggest story that happened since last week is A.J. Brown going on WIP. Now, I will tell you, and I think a lot of, a lot of you fine folks uh, are aware of this, but, like, the amount of, of sports talk radio that people listen to, I think, varies. Now, I don't know, and I'd love to know from the people in the comments today how much you're listening to now versus, like, a couple of years ago. But I don't get to listen to that much sports talk radio. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listened to some of the other shows here through the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, right? Crossed Up, the number one Phillies podcast. Um, I, I have to tell you, I don't always tune in live, but I was at the gym 
I know, hilarious. I was at the gym, and I saw that A.J. Brown was going to be coming on with Ike Reese and with Jack Fritz. And at the time, I thought that Spike Eskin was also going to be on. He was not on that episode, or he at least wasn't on for that segment. But I went, oh, this is going to be good. Because no matter what happens, there's going to be something to talk about. And A.J. Brown did not disappoint in any way, shape, or form. I have to tell you that I was thrilled, thrilled to see A.J. Brown go on to WIP and offer his thoughts, his side of things, and kind of give a little bit of clarity because we all know how this works, right? The media comes up with what they think is something that people are going to want to read, listen to, watch. Every media person does that. There are a bunch of, like, goofs who are like, I don't actually care what the people say. I don't care what people want to read about. I'm just going to cover the team. That's bullshit, right? Especially if you're working for an outlet that, like, tracks your click metrics or your pay is incentivized based on how many people actually read it or you're incentivized based on how many videos somebody watches. Like, all that, okay? I get it that there are people out there who, like, try to sell this fake bill of goods that, like, I don't care if people actually read what I write. It's all bullshit, okay? People care. When it comes to the media, I can say this, right? Because I guess I'm somehow media adjacent, if nothing else. I don't go down and cover games the way that I used to. When I first started working for Crossing Broad seven years ago, eight years ago, I don't remember how many years. It's, it's been a while. Six years ago? Seven? Let's say seven. Six. It was seven years ago. Started this podcast with Kyle Scott, with Adam Lefko, And then from there, uh, I think by the next year, I was covering games with Anthony Sanfilippo for the Flyers, right? And I took this, like, very good um, approach where I was trying to find side stories. I would call them, like, side pieces, right? Anthony would go in, and he'd write the game recap. And I'd kind of try to go find a guy in the locker room that, like, you don't hear a lot from. Or a guy who has, like, a big game, but, like, maybe had gone under the radar until that point. But why did I do that? It's because I wanted people to read it. It didn't really matter how many, in fairness, I was getting paid a flat rate, all right, by the maestro, okay? I wanted stuff to do well, okay? But, like, I wasn't going to do stuff that was overly redundant. I wanted to find an angle that people would find interesting as I was, like, trying to figure out if I liked writing about sports enough to, like, do something more with it than, like, be a freelance writer on the side while teaching, right? And so... That was how I viewed it. But I didn't look at it and say, like, I need everybody in the city to read everything that I was writing. I, I do all this to say different media go about this a different way. Some writers really are sensationalist, right? And some writers will go and they'll take something that's said to them by a player or by a coach or by somebody who works in the building. And they kind of craft a narrative. And they're, they're, sometimes they're a little bit more careful about it than others, right? And you can get a guy who says, hey, for example – one of the things that had been reported that Derek Gunn put out last week, which was uh, that Jalen Hurts, there might have been a little bit of a shift in the mentality after he got the big money contract and that it might not have sat well with some of his teammates, right? Now, I believe that Derek Gunn talks to a lot of these people, right? I believe that he talks to a lot of the players. We know, if nothing else, when Derek Gunn was working for NBC Sports Philly, previously um, Comcast Sportsnet, the big thing that he was known for was his relationship with players, that players would come up and they, would, they had a, a different kind of bond with him. They, they seemed to connect with him on a different level than a lot of your like standard Comcast Sportsnet personalities, right? I remember there's a whole big thing like where people were getting upset, right, because Derek Gunn bro-hugged it out with uh, Brandon Graham after a game a few years ago. And it was like, oh, is he violating journalistic integrity? All that bullshit. So if nothing else, we know that Derek Gunn has in the past had good relationships with players. He is one of the most respected people, I think, in the city when it comes to like his coverage of the Eagles. So when he put this out, and Craig put it up on the screen, but for the podcast people who listen after the fact, 
The tweet was from last, was that Wednesday? According to sources, Jalen uh, Jalen's big contract pulled in numerous directions on and off the field, put him under a lot of pressure he didn't handle well. Big Dom suspended, controls Sirianni's emotions on the sideline. In absence, Nick gets in numerous arguments with players and coaches during games. So that was like, there were two parts of this. And, and Kinker and I kind of went back and forth about this on Thursday's show. So I don't want to rehash all of that. But the thing that was interesting to me was, all right, the, the team, for better or worse, has allowed for a narrative, a, a narrative to continue to, to kind of fester. And you have to be very careful when there's a festering narrative, especially about a very important player on the team. And Jalen Hurts is one of those guys. There had been multiple reports out there. There had been multiple, you know, behind the scenes, you know, oh, what did, did the contract go to his head? Did the commitment stall the commercials? Like, did that kind of go to his head or did it throw him off his game? Was he hurt? And in fairness, the team never did a very good job of, I think, making people understand what happened with Jalen Hurts this year. I'm still convinced, and I could be wrong, maybe I'm just a dumbass, and it's possible. I've had people say it before. They'll say it again. But there's a part of me that thinks Jalen Hurts got hurt early in the season, and then he tweaked it again later in the season, and he was just physically limited, which is why you didn't see him run as much, which is why his mobility seemed to be off, which is why some of his timing just flat out seemed to be off. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I am. But I looked at it and I said, I think that this is a guy who has a lot going on all at once. The fame, the fortune, the commercials, the, the, the weight of expectations. You know, it wasn't just like, hey, Jalen Hurts is taking over for Carson Wentz. It's not, hey, Jalen Hurts is just trying to be a good starter. It was Jalen Hurts became one of the highest paid players in the history of the NFL. And like, maybe because he's a human being, Maybe that messed him up a little bit. Maybe all of those different things together gave us the version of Jalen Hurts we got. But throughout the season, and especially when the wheels fell off, you started to get another festering narrative that A.J. Brown was a negative, that A.J. Brown was a diva, that A.J. Brown doesn't care about winning, which I looked at and I said, there's no way. Where the hell have all these people been for the first 11 weeks of the season, right? When he goes out and he's able to take over a game almost single-handedly, where are all those people? Where are all the critics when that happens? So I'm sitting there thinking to myself, okay, let's be real here for a second. Either A.J. Brown is this cancer that all of these people seemed to want to believe from like week 12 and beyond, or A.J. Brown was a guy who was putting a lot of responsibility on himself because he was a focal point of the offense. And maybe A.J. Brown was a little bit more demonstrative on the sideline than like a lot of the other guys on this team who are seemingly like quiet, lead-by-example guys. You're Jalen Hurts of the world. You're Devontae Smiths of the world. Maybe it's just he stood out because he has a different way about going about it and he does it in public on the sideline. You know, he's not bumping into Nick Sirianni like Travis Kelsey did to Andy Reid in the Super Bowl, but like... Everybody reacts differently. I thought it was weird that so many people were going after A.J. Brown for being a diva. Okay, fine. He's the number one receiver. So I've now set this whole thing up, right? He goes on WIP last week. And the one thing that I wanted to hear was now that he's been given a platform, now that he's been given the ability to go and and have really an unfiltered conversation for 10 minutes, 15 minutes or whatever, I want to know... Like, what was true and what wasn't? And one of the things that Kincaid and I talked about last week, and and Kinker put the the clip on Twitter, you know, when you start to report things and when stuff starts to get aired out in public, 
you might not get a real answer from a coach or from an executive or from a player on record, but what happens is everybody comes out of the woodwork behind the scenes. And as media, what happens is uh, I might not be able to get a player to come on this show and say X, Y, Z were the reasons that everything fell apart. But when you have trust built up because you're covering a team and there's a narrative out there and you say, hey, uh, I've been told from a few people that like this might have been a factor. So like, for example, and this is not true, right, because I'm not covering the Eagles. I'm not trying to masquerade as an Eagles reporter. Black Sports Online once said that I was an Eagles reporter at Jalen Hurts, Gene Simmons tweet. That was not true, but that's okay. But like if, if I were covering the Eagles and I had a bunch of people say to me, hey, Jalen Hurts had a real issue with juggling the off-the-field stuff and the on-field stuff, and people thought he was being a little bit short with them. Okay, that would be one source. Another person who works in the building comes and says something very similar. Well, then I can go, and if I've done a good job as a reporter and I've built rapport with a player, I could maybe go to a player who... It could be a star player. It could just be somebody who's around the team who isn't a big difference maker. And I could say, hey, I've had a few people tell me this. Like, any, any thoughts on it? On background, not going to put your name out there. Not going to say a special teams player or, like, the second string running back. Like, none of that, right? And, like, that guy might give me something. And then I can take that and I can go to somebody who's maybe a little bit higher on the food chain and say, like, hey, this is now what I'm hearing. Like, help, help me here. Like, I want to make sure that we get this right. What happens is A.J. Brown going on WIP and even leading up to that, you started to get a better feel for what went wrong this year. Now, did A.J. Brown come out and say that uh, there was an ego and that uh, Jalen Hurts really was all of the things that Derek Gunn's thing, you know, the people who talked to him might have made it sound like? No. But A.J. Brown went on and he did a good job of explaining what he perceived to be an issue while also calling out the hypocrisy that the team faced, which was the beginning of the season, everything was hunky-dory. You didn't have a lot of these negative reports. You didn't have people bitching and moaning about the way that guys were conducting themselves on the, on the sideline. It wasn't until the wheels started to fall off and that things started going sideways that all of a sudden it was, oh, everything's bad. Everything's awful here. It just continues to get worse. So I was glad that by him kind of taking all of these things into account, by allowing a few of these reports to come out, by allowing Craig Carton to go on FS1 and like say, well, I know what the reason is, but I'm not going to say what the reason is. All of those things together, now you have something to go off. So then A.J. Brown goes on WIP, where he's greeted by Jack Fritz, who's been a longtime producer, and Ike Reese, who's a former player who's been, you know, co-hosting and holding down the afternoon drive time show for years where they've been mopping the floor with the competition in that, in that time slot. Right. And Ike did a sensational job. Okay. I want to be very clear in the very beginning of Ike Reese on the radio. I went, I don't know. I'm not sure. I hope the guy grows into the role. The, the trajectory where he started from to where he is now has been astronomical, right? And he was the perfect guy to have on that afternoon show for a moment like last week when A.J. Brown called in because he could not only come at it as a representative of the station and as a radio host, but he did a fantastic job coming to A.J. Brown as a former player and being able to speak on behalf of the station and being able to speak on behalf of himself and Jack Fritz and Spike Eskin, but also as a former player and, and, and say to A.J. Brown, I know what it was like to play here. Now, 
I thought it was interesting, and I don't necessarily think that Ike should have like played down what his uh, his role was in town. Could he have gone with the route of like, look, I was never at the star caliber level as you, so it's a little bit different. Or like, hey, I played on the defensive side, but I played a lot of special teams. Like, he didn't go that far. I don't think he necessarily had to. I think that there's just that former player mentality that like, listen, it's a brotherhood, right? And like only so many players ever get to play in the league and only so many players ever get to play in this city for this team, especially when the team is winning and there are expectations. So I thought Ike did a sensational job with this and kind of, it felt like A.J. Brown went on there initially kind of like a uh, ask me anything. He didn't go on there with a bunch of talking points. He just kind of went on and said, all right, let's clear up the situation. Let's clear up the narratives that are out there. And I think he kept saying, like, I'm going to give you guys 10 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever. And then, like, I'm going to peace out. And there were some really interesting quotes. Craig, I think you had them pulled up uh, a little bit ago. But I, I want to get into a few of A.J. Brown's quotes because I thought that he, he did a really good job. Now, they started by asking, do you want to be here? The fans want to know if you're interested in being a player in Philadelphia. Like, do you – flat out, like, do you want out? He said, I understand what it, that it's a business. I can tell you that I want to be here. I want to be here. I love where I'm at. And actually, he closed out the interview uh, when given the opportunity of, like, what you would say to the fans. And he said, like, Philly, I love you. Okay? So, like, it was funny because even in the days after he goes on the radio – there were still people who were just like doing it, I think, in, in poor faith, but saying like, oh, are we sure that he wants to be here? He fucking said he wanted to be here. He was on the radio multiple times. Could have just been like, you know what? This isn't what I thought it was going to be here. Yeah, it's fine. You know, I, I play where I play and I catch the ball where I catch the ball and that's it. He went out of his way a few times to reiterate that he likes playing here. He loves it here. He loves the fans and he gets it. But that, like, he also is going to kind of call out hypocrisy in the media. That's fine. Keep going down there, Craig. Um, when asked about the end of the season, he said, people um, always ask what happened. We were never really playing, like, the best team in the league. We had the best record in the league, but we uh, were scratching it out. Later on, it was a domino effect. We couldn't stop the bleeding. So, like, the context to that quote was Ike sort of set it up as, you know, in the beginning of the year when you guys were the best team in football. And A.J. Brown kind of pumped the brakes and was like, well, no. We didn't play like the best team in football. We just had a lot of things going our way, which was interesting. This kind of comes back to that idea that I think a lot of people have had for quite some time now, which is, you know, we went in last season. We kept saying, man, if they can keep winning the way that they're winning, imagine what happens when they put it all together. This felt like A.J. Brown saying, nay, nay, it was kind of the opposite. The first 11 weeks of the season were when everything was going right. You know, that is the best case scenario. Not that there was another level to get to, but like, man, we might have actually really been here, but we were able to to lift our level because everything was breaking our way. All right, keep going, Craigles. Let's, we're going to go through a couple more of these and then we're going to move on. But I think it's important that we like, we have the full context here. He's, he's pulling everything up. I think it's important that we have like the full context of all of this. And again, Ike did a very good job of meeting him on the former player level. And I think that, like, they asked him a few times about his relationship with Jalen Hurts. Um, here's one. Uh, when he's, he's talked about, like, how he was a diva on the sideline, right? A.J. Brown said, uh, what if the flare-ups on the sideline are because I care so much and I want to hold people accountable and, and get them back up? You don't see it from Jalen because it's not his personality. It's mine. And I can do that because nobody works as hard as me and puts in the work in as much as me. And I stand on that. You take it as anger, but it's passion. And he went on, and Craig, you can take it down now. He went on to kind of say how he felt like he's been compared to Terrell Owens and that 
the way that people have looked at him as a diva is the way that people used to go after T.O. for being a diva. And he's like, that's not what this is. And he's like, T.O.'s a good guy. Like, I respect him. I don't want it to come off as speaking badly about him. But we're not the same person, right? T.O. was a diva. I love that, though. And me, as the fan, I loved everything Terrell Owens brought to Philadelphia. I thought it was great, Okay. But you know, here it is. Here's the quote. I'm not trying to change the media. I know it's been like this. It's been, it'll be like this when I leave. I just think I'm so misunderstood. Everybody wants to paint me like a diva. I yell on the sidelines, and everyone assumes it's about targets. What if I'm holding people accountable? You just assume it's anger. There are two kinds of leaders in sports, right? There are the extroverted leaders, and there are the introverted leaders. There are the guys who you see on the sideline, like A.J. Brown, holding teammates accountable, getting in the face of their teammates or of their coaches. And then you have the guys who are like the quiet leaders, which is what Jalen Hurts, everybody says, is. Like uh, Claude Giroux, as the Flyers used to say. Like, he was the lead-by-example kind of guy. Sean Couturier, the new captain, lead-by-example sort of guy. Joel Embiid, much more extroverted on the court, right? But not quite the same way that, like, Jimmy Butler, who, like, went and almost got in a fight last week. Not quite like that. Okay, so there are different ways to lead. The problem is that it's so easy to make a comparison between A.J. Brown and Terrell Owens, right? Because they both are game-changing receivers. They're both incredibly physical receivers. They both have the ability to take over a game. And, yes, they're both very demonstrative on the sideline. It is what it is. So, again... He goes on the radio, and I feel like, for the most part, he did a very good job. I think that he clarified a lot of points that people wanted to hear. I think he did a very good job of explaining that um, the way that Jalen Hurts leads and the way that he leads are different. And that when he was asked about the relationship, he's like, I'm not talking about our relationship on, on the record. I'm not doing that on the radio. And that's his prerogative. He can do that. There's nothing wrong with it. Now, look, if you took that as a listener and you said – oh, well, he should have been more effusive of his praise of Jalen Hurts and that him not going out of his way to say how much he loves Jalen is a sign there's trouble in paradise. You can do that. Have fun. You want to run with that. By all means, go ahead. But what I heard was, we're not the same people. We don't lead the same way. And look, maybe, maybe, maybe there's something to, there was a little bit of tension in their relationship or that things changed or maybe the dynamic between when he first came to Philadelphia versus like what last season was like. Maybe all the losing did cause a little bit of a rift. It's possible. Again, these guys are human, right? It is what it is. I think he did a good job. I think that if you're still hell-bent on saying that A.J. Brown wants out, that should have killed that notion. And I think that if you've been spending months or weeks or whatever now thinking that like there's an... Uh, um, there's irrevocable uh, differences or whatever, and that they've done irreparable damage to their relationship between A.J. Brown and the city or A.J. Brown and, and Jalen Hurts, that should be gone. We do at some point have to flip this thing back, though. Like, last season is last season. It's done. Jack Fritz at one point did ask about Kellen Moore and about what's to come, and A.J. Brown was like, no, we're talking about last season. Like, let's clear up everything that just happened, okay? Let's get that done. We'll talk about Kellen Moore another time. But um, I hope that this did clear some of it up. And I do hope that, like, some of the bullshit narratives that were going around, they've been cleared up by that appearance. I expect that you're going to see more of this. I expect that you're going to hear more. And that as the, as the calendar kind of flips and training camp and, the, and mini camps and everything start up, that you'll probably still get some stuff from last year. 
You'll still get plenty of thoughts about what went wrong last year, and that's fine. And maybe at some point we'll get to a better, more detailed, thorough idea of what went wrong down the stretch. But I think at this point, if there were going to be that big revelation, we would have gotten it by now. Craig Carton, again, he he said what he said. He put out that he knows what it was and that, you know, it would have broken down any group of men and he didn't think it could be fixed. And the first thing I thought was, did somebody sleep with somebody's girlfriend, wife, whatever? That seems to me like an, like an irreconcilable difference, right? But then that was seemingly kind of thrown out. Adam Schefter kind of threw that out last week. It seems like A.J. Brown took exception to that kind of thing as well. So I don't know what the what the other issue could be. Now, there was that other thing in the Derek Gunn thing, and I would encourage people to go back and listen to last Thursday's Crossing broadcast where we kind of broke down the thing about Sirianni and about uh, Big Dom. But if that part's true, that like Nick Sirianni couldn't do a good enough job of like keeping his emotions in check as the head coach of the team, and he needs Big Dom DeSandro on the sideline to do his job, that's a big fucking problem, Okay. Don't get it twisted. If your head coach is unable to, like, do his job on the sideline without having the giant teddy bear, that's a problem. And again, if that is true, it's going to fuel the fire of all the people who have said for months now, how do you bring this coach back? How do you do it? We'll see. I, I, I honestly have no idea how if that proves to be true or if more people come out with that or somebody goes on the record, I don't know how you can ever make the case that like this was the right call to bring back this coach. But we'll see. We'll see. There's so much more to get into, though, and, and we need to do it right now, okay? The Sixers lost over the weekend to the Bucks. The Flyers lost back-to-back games. That's 0-3 for your teams in Philadelphia this past weekend. Now, if you want to count spring training, then you certainly can. I don't, but you can. There are a few things, and Craig, we have a couple of quotes from Doc Rivers from over the weekend. Um, I want to get first to the Boston one, if you can pull the Boston quote, about last season and about what went wrong in game six about the Sixers getting knocked out of the playoffs by the Boston Celtics because Doc Rivers... He just says a lot of dumb shit. If we're if we're calling it like it is, Craig, I think you have to unmute it on the on the clip there itself. There we go. I guess we just kind of reflect on what happened in that series with the Celtics. Yeah. Why do you think it's kind of you look at the Celtics? Why do you think we're able to get a little confident in that situation? Um, I don't know. Uh, I honestly haven't thought about it much since. Um, I mean, uh, maybe they were better. Could that be a possibility? Pause it. You no, know, uh, that's probably. Maybe they were better. Maybe the reason the Boston Celtics won last season is because they were better. Great stuff, Doc. True revelation. Continue. Why you picked them, right? You know, so that's one reason. I thought game six was our game. I I didn't think we, uh, I didn't think Joel got the ball enough. And and trust me, it was for him to get it. And and he didn't get it. Um, I don't know how healthy he was, so... um, but as I've told you guys a hundred times, you put yourself in those positions and winning's hard and you're going to win some of them. You're not going to win some of them. And, and you just keep going. You know, um, I think that's the end. Well, you know what? We got an all timeline there at a doc. Winning is hard. Ladies and gents, those of you joining on the live stream, those of you listening after the fact in the podcast feed, winning is hard. That's the excuse. Listen, 
You ever lose at anything in life, winning is hard. Signed, Doc Rivers. Are you, are you kidding me? That's the takeaway? And there's another problem with it, by the way. He talks about Joel Embiid. The ball was there for Joel Embiid to get it, but maybe he didn't get it enough. It, but it was there for him. If only there were somebody who could have put together a game plan in the playoffs last year for the Philadelphia 76ers that could have gotten Joel Embiid the ball. If only there were a person being paid millions of dollars to strategize, to find weak points in the opposition's game. If only there were somebody like, I don't know, what would you call it? You wouldn't call them a player. You wouldn't call them an executive. What would you call it? Like maybe like a, like a, like a trainer? No, a, a coach? Yeah, yeah, like a coach. And, and maybe if you were paying that coach millions of dollars and he had a staff that helped with different elements of the game and well, he wouldn't be like an assistant coach. He'd be like a head coach. Huh. If, only the, if only the Sixers had been paying a, a head coach millions of dollars in the postseason to figure out how to get the, the MVP of the league the ball in that series, yeah. Do we all understand now why J.J. Redick was so upset? Why J.J. Redick went off on TV last week? Do we all understand? I mean, we do. But do people outside of Philadelphia get it? I'm sure that L.A. get it. I'm sure that the Clippers fans get it. I'm sure that to some extent even Boston fans get it, right? Because the failure to win multiple championships with the big three, with Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen, that's a, like that's a disgrace. That was like the thing that started it all, that big three. And the most that he got was one title. You can look and say, hey, it's great. He won a championship. That's, that's awesome. Great. He had a stacked fucking roster. He had three of the best players in the league at that time. Granted, Ray Allen was in like a slightly different part of his career, but like to not win more than one title before the big three became the fad and before every team started trying to build their own big three, Doc Rivers is a fraud, an absolute fraud. Again, I think I said this last week, two weeks ago, the man has had stacked rosters wherever he's gone. And he's gotten less out of them than I think just about any other coach that's anywhere near the, the top of the all-time wins leaders in the NBA would have gotten out of them. And the excuses are just ridiculous. And by the way, this whole big thing where it's like, well, we don't actually know how healthy Joel Embiid was. That was your job, right? That, that was part of like, you, you should know. I would imagine that he did know how hurt Joel Embiid was or wasn't, right? Because he has to put together a game plan. He has to put his rotations together. He has to know how much they can rely on the big guy, right? That is his job. So one of two things is happening. Either Doc is full of shit, which is normal, or Doc did a terrible job here because he didn't know what was going on with his own team, and he really didn't know how hurt the MVP of the league was in the postseason. Either way, there's nothing good. There's no, there's no good silver lining in the way that last season ended, and there's no good silver lining in Doc Rivers' career as a Philadelphia 76ers head coach, except for it eventually ended. And then he took some time and joined the ESPN telecast and led to a couple of guys losing their jobs on that and, uh, and then bailed on them anyway. Bailed on ESPN to go coach the Bucks and tell everybody how hard it is to take over a team midseason. While he was like sort of consulting for them and sort of maybe preparing the dagger to shove into the Bucks coach's back, and then, by the way, after the fact, like this happened during the All-Star weekend. We probably talked about it last week. I don't remember. But like saying that he said to the Bucks owners, I don't know why you're doing this. 
I don't know why you're firing this guy. And they're like, oh, well, it's already done and we want you. Quinky dink. Because one of two things is true. Either he knew that they were going to fire the guy and he was just being a piece of shit by consulting and pretty much conspiring to get the guy fired. Or he has no ability to recognize anything from a social perspective and can't see the signs in talking to ownership that like, oh, they might fire this guy. Again, it's never his fault. It will be his fault when they don't do anything in the playoffs, when the Bucks inevitably underachieve in the postseason. And I don't know if Giannis is the kind of guy to ever walk away from a team or if he's going to be the kind of guy to request a trade uh, down the line, but he's going to get fed up with this too, almost without a doubt. Almost as sure as Craig's cat is currently walking across his keyboard right now, that's how sure I am that Doc Rivers is going to fail in Milwaukee. Okay. But the Sixers lost to the Bucs, and that sucks. I want to know from people, though, are you, are you actively paying attention to the Sixers until Joel Embiid is back? Like, where has your paying attention meter gone since Joel Embiid's injury? Because I can tell you, I was watching every game. I was living and dying with the Sixers the way that I always did as a fan because I love basketball and I've long loved the Philadelphia 76ers. It is the one team in my life that I um, – my family doesn't really care about sports, right? My parents don't really care about sports. The one sport that I was able to connect with somebody in my family on was the Sixers because my baba, my grandma, was a basketball player when she was in high school. And at some point, we bonded over the Sixers. So I feel a very special attachment to the Sixers. And I will always kind of ride and die with them, even if I know they don't have a chance of getting out of the second round, right? But when Joel Embiid got hurt, I said, what's the point? You know, and, and when they went through the trade deadline and they brought in Buddy Heald and they, they picked up the bought-out Kyle Lowry, I said, all right, like, that's good. And I feel like, all things considered, they might have good depth and good shooting around Embiid. But it doesn't matter until you get to the playoffs. And then Embiid, like, when Embiid got hurt, I said, there's just no point. I don't know. I can't get myself emotionally invested in the Sixers. And what I'm seeing here in the comments, like Jamie, um, Jamie Calvario says, watched more Phillies yesterday than the Sixers. They've just drained me. I think I think that's where a lot of people are. And again, like, I love basketball. A lot of people know me as, like, being this, like, hockey guy because I host Snow the Goalie, the Only Flyers podcast. But, like, I like basketball more than I like hockey. I think basketball is my favorite sport. I like I love playing soccer, and I love soccer, but I connect with basketball. And so, like, being in a position where, like, for multiple years now, I've had to sit back and say, like, eh, I don't really care about the regular season. That, like, kind of pains me to my core. I don't know what my Baba would say. I think my Baba would probably say uh, they better make their free throws. Like, that was always her thing. Players have to make their free throws. She hated Andre Iguodala because he couldn't make his free throws, right? But, like, there's a small part of me that, like, hates the fact that I can't get excited about the Sixers because without Joel Embiid, they, they don't have the thing that makes them go. Tyrese Maxey's great. Said this before. Love Tyrese Maxey. Love the positivity. Think he's, like, arguably one of the most important and best people, best personalities in Philadelphia in any sports team, right? But, like, it's hard to get emotionally invested in the Sixers without having the reigning MVP in the lineup and knowing that when he gets back, he's probably not going to have enough time to get back into whatever the best shape he could be uh, in is. And that, to me, is, like, that kind of sucks. And that kind of pains the the fan part of me that really does love the Sixers. Um 
But I'm seeing like people in the comments saying that they haven't watched much. Sean C said, I've watched one Sixers game this year and reacted to Embiid's injury is just another day that uh, ends in Y. You know, I, I just, I think it kind of sucks. And BW, by the way, with a really good thing here, and I think Kincaid and I might have argued about this last week, but like, can't believe it should have been Halliburton. You know, remember the Ben Simmons trade, the, the big rumor out of Sacramento was that they were willing to put together a package that included Tyrese Halliburton. And instead of going for that, Daryl Morey went back to his safety, his safety valve, back to his uh, baby blanket, James Harden, and it didn't work. It did not work. All right, so let's get out of sad. Let's go to the Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Flyers. They lost two games this weekend, okay? And um, there's a real problem. There, there's a big problem now with the Flyers, if you're paying attention. And actually, you know, before we get to the Flyers, let's talk about something happy. Let's go happy first, Craig. We're not going to continue to go down in a spiral. Can we really quick bring up ice football? I want to go to ice football really quick because um, I saw it in the clip is in German, which made my German-speaking heart very happy. But um, there were some like other football-ish related things. And then we'll get to the Flyers and the fact that they lost back-to-back games and that things are starting to fall apart over there. Okay. But ice football became a thing this, uh, this weekend that people became, I guess, aware of. This looks like so much fun, but also not. Like, I want to know from people if you remember playing on playground or going to your high school's practice field on a snow day. But like, this is one of the funniest things I've seen yet is ice football. Legitimately playing on what looks like an arena football setup, but with ice, legitimately with ice. And they're not wearing skates, which also freaked me out. I didn't understand how this is a thing. And I'm like, all right, the the refs, the refs aren't on skates either. They just have a, a graceful sort of stride about them. And this is like the one time where I have to apologize to people who listen in the podcast feed because you don't get to see this. I'd, I'd actually encourage you to go to YouTube and like check the timestamp and then head over there to see this. But like watching these guys as they're kind of sliding their way and, and doing little cannonballs in the end zone, like this is funny. This to me is kind of like if you had an NFL alumni game and you had like 60-year-old players kind of old man shuffling their way to the end zone it would look like that anyway that made that put a big smile on my face this weekend I saw that and I went you know what there's still hope in this world you know what's going on in Germany will it find its way over here I don't know could you envision a scenario where uh in an intermission of a Flyers game that there are like two visiting teams from this like German ice league that are going to come over without skates and throw down at Wells Fargo Center? Probably not. But I saw that and it made me smile. And there's one other thing really quick, Craig, uh, another football-related thing, and then again, we'll, we'll get to the Flyers. Um, Cam Newton, and I'm assuming that most people have seen this by now, but if you haven't, uh, Cam Newton got jumped this weekend. Craig, hit the full screen on there real quick, and we'll just see, or, or give a little zoom. There we go. We got the audio, bro. I want the audio. Let's, there we go. Um, Cam gets jumped by a group of guys and this is the ultimate, like fuck around and find out, right? Because I don't know what led to them jumping Cam Newton, but you can see Craig, pause it. You can see like the guy who kind of looks like he's got the, uh, sorcerer's hat or whatever. What the hell is it? The sorting hat from Harry Potter. 
right, where he's got the hair up through the, through the hat. You'll see it here, but, like, they try to take Cam Newton down. They try to get his ass. But what's the problem with trying to go after Cam Newton? The man played many years in the NFL behind an absolute dog shit O-line. You think you're going to catch him off guard? You think that you're going to rush Cam Newton and take him down to the ground? There are guys paid millions of dollars who couldn't sack Cam Newton. You think that your dumbass is going to knock him down? Cam Newton had those guys just bump off. Like, there was nothing to it. Craig, go about, like, halfway back in that clip. When they're kind of, like, trying to waylay on him and try to take him down, I'll play it one more time. It's fine. But, like, he doesn't even break stride. There's not even, like, a little bit of a tilt to his, uh, to his walk, right? Like, they're grabbing him here at the beginning of the clip, and they all start to swarm him. He just kind of hits him with a five-step drop, and he's ready to waylay. And I don't know if he ever actually connects or not, but, like, nothing. If that's me, if I have, like, four or five dudes try to jump me, I can tell you right now I'd be just like Cam Newton. Can't take me down. I got a low center of gravity. No, I'm kidding. I'd get my ass kicked. But Cam Newton... Good on him. That was, that was next-level stuff out of him. All right, let's get back to the Flyers. Let's get it back to the Flyers. And I did see, by the way, there's a, uh, there's a thing going around right now about potentially, I'm just going to say, potentially, be very careful here because I have not heard the clip yet, waiting to see if anybody has the clip or if Pagan clips it or if maybe Kinker clips it. But the rumor is that Hugh Douglas, about 20 minutes ago, ripped Jack Fritz's job on the A.J. Brown interview and said that it sounded like he was going to pee his pants. Now, I'm just saying, that's, that's been passed along. I didn't get to listen to it, okay? So I'm not saying that Hugh Douglas said it. I'm not saying that it, it sounded like Jack Fritz was hiding behind Ike Reese. But we talked about it at the beginning of the show, and I'll tell you that if that clip comes out, if Kinker clips it, if it goes on Crossing Broad, Thursday's show, we'll dive into it. Very interesting, though would be interesting. I don't know what the dynamic is between some of those guys. You know, I know that in the past, you've had different people at different stations where, like, there's a lack of respect between people or there's, like, a little, um, you know, out to get. You're not necessarily looking to see all uh, rising tides lift all boats or whatever. I'm not saying that's the case there. I don't know what the dynamic is there, but it is interesting if one of your midday guys is, uh, is ripping one of your afternoon guys. I don't know what the tone was of the clip, just passing along that that apparently was sad. I'll have to have to look for it a little bit later. By the way, Ford's saying Russ is 5'5 five, five on a good day. Russ is 5'6, all right? I'm not that tall, so every inch matters on my height. All right, Ford, so get it, get it, get it right. 5'6, okay, thank you. I thought for a while it was going to be 5'7. I don't know if anybody else has had this. Probably not. It's probably just me because I'm a nut job. But, like, I think when I turned, like, 21... I started doing the thing where you Google, like, when does a guy stop growing? Like, when do you stop getting taller? And every year from, like, 21 on, I would Google that next year. 22, growth spurt. 23, growth spurt. I I stopped at 30. I was finally willing at age 30 to say that that last growth spurt's not coming, is it? No. But I waited until I was 30. So... I did. I waited. Um, Nat Marlowe trying to get me back in on this radio thing. Is Hugh wrong? Jack even acknowledged he asked a bad question. I will just say this. I think that when you are in a position when you're interviewing a player, 
especially one who might come at it from a hostile standpoint, you figure out how often or how experienced somebody is in a certain role. And in listening to that interview last week, I did not get the feeling that Fritz was necessarily ready for that moment. And I don't know if he went into it. I think that it was kind of like a last-minute thing. I don't think that they had that interview scheduled out like a day or two ahead of time where you kind of map things out. And again, like when a guy is a little bit hostile about like your workplace, about the station itself and about media as a whole, I think that like that didn't go the way that he probably wanted it to would be my guess. I've not talked to him. I think, again, Ike was able to kind of go at it from the perspective of the former player, and I think Ike has been part of enough of those afternoon radio shifts as a host and as somebody who's doing the interview that, like, he was able to play that much better on the fly. Uh, I wouldn't say that I was, like, enthralled with the job that Fritz did with that interview. But again, I don't think he had the time to prepare for it. And I think he's also in a tricky spot because he's now a host when he had been a producer for so long. And I know that like he hosts High Hopes and he's got like the Sixers pod and everything. But like hosting a pod, if you're not interviewing or you're not used to having that kind of like a back and forth with your subject is probably not great. And it's not a good spot to be in. So I'm trying to be nice. I'm just trying to make sure that I'm nice here. I don't see the point of ripping. I think that it is a hard position to be in. I think what you saw there is when it comes to going from being a producer to a host in that kind of a time slot, I think like you kind of saw that there's still some work that he's going to have to do. And I think that it was actually a shame in a sense that Spike wasn't there because I think Spike would have also played well off of Ike and that probably would have gone a little bit differently. But I, I don't know. You know, I think that I think that given the short time and everything, I think Jack did okay. I think Ike just stood out as being that much better because I think, again, Ike was able to come at it as a host and as a former player and that he could kind of meet A.J. Brown on multiple levels. So I think that, like, maybe it's not even a a matter of, like, one guy did great, one did bad. I think it's just that, like, Ike's performance in that and his ability to adapt to it, it was just so much better that, like, I don't even know if another person would have been able to do a good job. I almost wonder if they should have just gone at it as a one-on-one, to be honest, because I think, again, when you're connecting on multiple levels, that might have actually been the better way to go. I'm not sure. Um, But we'll see. Um, Let's get to the flyers here real quick before we head out. Unless there's anything else, I'll let the comments section dictate if there's anything else that we want to get to today. But this is about everything that I had up until the Flyers topic. But if there's something else that I missed here along the way, by all means, shout it out in the comments on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter. But um, Flyers lost back-to-back games this weekend, and it was not good. It was not good. And we did snow the goalie earlier today. And I think that the way that I looked at those losses and the ways that um, Ant and Bundy might have looked at those losses are a little bit different. You can look at it and say, hey, it's a pair of one-goal losses – and um, the Rangers game, you didn't have Travis Konechny. You didn't have him yesterday in uh, Pittsburgh either. But, like, you say the Rangers are a better team. You're not going to catch them. And so even though you lost, it was a good result. And even in the postgame show on Press Row Show, I said to Bundy, like, I think that that, all things considered, even though you didn't get a point, was an okay loss because you fought through it. And, like, it's going to be hard to score without Konechny. 
But Sunday's game was inexcusable on so many levels, right? Cal Peterson put himself in a position where he cannot get another start this year. He can't. If, if the goal is to make the playoffs, and people get really upset uh, on Twitter, but like the team has said rebuild from the beginning, right? But the coach is not a rebuild guy. And you're not going to bottom out on purpose when the team has done very well to this point and has overachieved, right? You, you aren't going to just look at those guys and say, hey, nice job, but now we're gutting the team. They're probably not going to do that, right? So you take all those things into consideration and you look at last night's game or yesterday's game, yesterday afternoon's game against the, the Penguins. Cal Peterson gave up seven goals and they weren't good goals. You know, they weren't like highlight reel, you know, no goalies stopping that kind of thing. Some of them were soft. You didn't even need a good performance. You just needed a passable performance and he couldn't even give you that. And they're in a weird spot because I brought up on Saturday um, pregame before the Rangers game. That like, all right, when you know that Travis Konechny's out, do you have to flip the goalies? You know, you went into it saying, we're going to go Erson on Saturday. We're going to go Peterson on Sunday. We'll go back to Erson on Tuesday. And I said, like, I don't know. You're not going to catch the Rangers, right? Konechny's out. They were hoping they'd have him back for Sunday. That didn't end up happening anyway. But, like, I sat there and said, all right, if I know I can't catch the Rangers – and I know that I, I can effectively knock the, play, the Penguins out of playoff contention for all intents and purposes by beating them, picking up two points, and making sure that, like, yes, they have multiple games in hand, but, like, it's going to make their ability to get back in a lot harder. I probably think about swapping the goalies. I do. And I saw some people on, on Twitter yesterday when the clip goes out, and they're like, oh, it just proves you don't know the game of hockey. Well, look, sometimes you have to challenge conventional wisdom. And I get that, like, these guys go through their routines, but, like... You know, you, you, you got really exposed, I think, this weekend that, like, all right, Erson can, like, stand up against a good Rangers team. Cal Peterson's bad, really, really bad. And you can't convince me that if Sam Erson had been in net yesterday that the Flyers would have given up seven goals and lost that game. There's just no way. So I think that that was a miscalculation. And... Listen, the coach is not infallible. There are some people who act like the man walks on water. He, he doesn't always make every call the right way. He's gotten a lot out of this team. He has somehow turned the Flyers into what was supposed to be a rebuilding team into a team that is in playoff contention. And unless the wheels fall off, have a good shot of making it. But I would sit there and go, Ugh. really, making the playoffs, if you're able to do it and go in in a strong way, it's great. It's good experience for those players. It's really good for your team. It's obviously good for the bottom line because that's all revenue that comes in through the playoffs. But like from the perspective of you're trying to build this thing into a cup contender that you're trying to make into a team that can contend and not just this year but for a long time, boy, you – I love this, by the way, Joey B. Rush Joy's title, top shelf. Or tile, top shelf, this guy back here. That's real. It's not virtual. That's a real – did that. Um I think they're in a weird spot, and I still am very much of the mindset. You said that it's a rebuild, so make it a rebuild. If you said that the whole goal going into this year is to be a rebuild, then it's time to start selling some pieces. If this doesn't, if you can't pull the nose up on this before the deadline, then you have to start selling. You have to be willing to sell a Sean Walker. You have to be willing potentially to sell a Nick Sealer. You have to be willing, if there's a good offer there for Scott Lawton, to go and Make that move as well. Ryan Palin gives you a lot of what Scott Lawton, you know, typically does. 
I'm just, I'm at a spot where I think it's really, really hard to sit back and say that making the playoffs at all costs is the way to go. I don't think it is. I don't see them making a move for another veteran backup goalie unless the next week and a half or so they just light the world on fire, go on like a five or six game win streak. Then like maybe they say, all right, well, we're making the playoffs at that point and we need a better backup netminder. Well, one of the things that we talked about was uh, was Kolosov and the fact that Kolosov is um, – he, he should be. I mean his team is about to be out um, in the KHL. There's a thought that maybe he'll be over here before the season is over. He could maybe be here in a few weeks. He would probably have to play at the AHL for a little bit to make sure that um, he's used to the North American rink, which is a different size. Uh, get used to playing the American game and then come up to the NHL level. I just don't know how you go through a few more weeks of Cal Peterson being your backup goalie and say like you're actively trying to make the playoffs. Again, they haven't publicly said they're trying to make the playoffs. But like if internally that's what they want to do, he can't be the backup. There's just no way. The drop-off between him and Erson is is insane. And like, look, I saw somebody say yesterday on Twitter as well that like this whole thing kind of comes back to Carter Hart, and it does. You know, you you were looking really strong at goalie between Hart and Erson and Hart's gone and not coming back. And so now you're relying on your backup goalie who was maybe pushing your number one for that role anyway, but you didn't have a guy ready to be the backup. And this team did lie. They, they did try to get the goalie position fortified for the pipeline but they didn't have a guy ready as the backup to the backup, right? And that to me is like, I think more than anything is like the big problem. They, despite the fact that they have a lot of guys in the pipeline, they weren't ready with another veteran netminder. I think that they thought Peterson was going to be better than this, but like all of the indications leading into him being acquired was that like he's not that guy and he's not going to be able to hold up for... um you know, hold up as as a guy you'd have to rely on. So I think they're in a really weird spot. And the biggest issue that came out of that game is that Jamie Drysdale's hurt. And I would not plan on seeing Jamie Drysdale again this season. I could be wrong. I do not have intel on it. I have not reached out to anybody at the team to try to get confirmation. But looking at the injury, looking at the hit that he was um that he took yesterday, um, and the fact that he kind of had like the dead arm. That to me looked like shoulder separation, and if it's a separated shoulder, he's out for the year. Like he's out for the rest of the season, and he's probably going to be like an iffy potential training camp guy. Right? That's a tough injury. That's the same shoulder they did a Torden Laborman that cost him a season with Anaheim. Um, that's about as bad of a situation and as bad of a scenario as it could have been. Of all the the things to get hurt. That same shoulder, he's 22, and that that would be his like second significant shoulder injury since being in the NHL. Um, that'd be really bad. So I don't know what they're going to do. If it's me, I think that this thing is all starting to trend toward it's going to fall apart. And again, if that's the case, then you have to start considering some moves that you might not have wanted to make. And if a team does come to you with a first round pick for Scott Lawton, you take it. You can't even, you don't even hesitate. If a team comes to you with a second and a change of scenery prospect, like a like a Tippett was, or like Morgan Frost was looking like he was going to be at the beginning of the year, then you have to think about that as well. Outside of that, like I wouldn't move Lawton for a third or for like a, a conditional second by any stretch. Like then I say wait till the offseason for him. But Walker, I don't think fits your timeline. 
if you think that you're going to be a perennial contender in two to three years, he's a good guy to have. He's proven to be better than they thought he was going to be, but like he doesn't fundamentally alter your ability to win a cup. All right. Like if, if this were a thing where you're like one piece away, then fine. Like maybe it's different, but like as of right now, you have to hope that you're going to either develop one of your guys that are currently in the system or use one of these high picks on a guy who's going to be closer to NHL ready that like he can develop that in three years, he can be the same kind of guy that Walker has been, or that you can find another guy who's like a change of scenery guy or somebody that you find value on in the, on the margins with. But I am a little bit worried and I could be wrong, but I'm a little bit worried that we might be getting ourselves just a little bit too committed to the bit about trying to make the playoffs and that they might hold off on making some moves that a, a fully, truly rebuilding team should strongly consider making. But we'll know. Like, we'll, we'll have a better idea here in the next 10 days or so. And if the, if the wheels really do fall off, you will hear me actively championing the idea of it's time to sell, sell, sell. Right now, I think they're still in a spot where, like, it's hard to start selling when your team is playoff bound and then say to the guys who have busted their ass this year, ah, you know what, guys? You busted your ass, but, like, we're going to sell a few guys for third-round picks. I don't see them doing that. But we'll see. Um, all right. That is today's show. A big thank you to everybody who tuned in on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter. A big thank you to everybody who listens after the fact in the podcast feed. Do me a favor. Actually, yes, do this favor. It's not just for me. It's for Crossing Broad as a whole, okay? Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Make it a five-star review. It can be good. It can be bad, okay? Leave a five-star review with your thoughts on this Monday show, your thoughts on the Thursday show, or the Monday and Thursday show. We'll read it on air on Thursday, okay? Uh, if you have not already done so, subscribe to Crossing Broad on YouTube, and make sure you ring the bell so you get notified whenever there's a new video, whether it's a live one or if it's one of Pagan's Man on the Street videos. I've been told that Pagan, I think Pagan is back. I think. I think he is back from his extended break, so we'll see. Um, but... Do us a favor, go subscribe over on YouTube, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, uh, Spotify, and you can leave a message for Thursday's show or leave a message for Monday's show, 215-839-8477. Do me a favor. For next week, I'd like to get a few people. I'm, I've thought about doing live calls, but I'm a little bit nervous about what horrible things some of you may say. So I'm still going with messages for now, but I'd like to have a few of you for next week. 215-839-8477. Thanks for joining me today. And I will talk to you on Thursday. Kincaid will be here. I don't know if he has a guest lined up for this week or not. You'll just have to come back and find out on Thursday. Ford asks, reviews only on Apple. Yeah, because the review only they only allow for reviews on Apple Podcasts. You can leave five-star rating on Spotify, but you can't like leave the words and everything. So you can leave your review there. You can DM me on Twitter at Joy on Broad or on Instagram at Joy on Broad. You can send me an email, I guess, if you want. I don't know why, but, you know, appreciate it. Joey B says, Russ Joy in Beer League, number one penalty killer on his squad, brings Keystone Light to the locker room. I like it. I'm fine with that. Well, anyway, sixth time I've tried to do this, but thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to Crossing Broadcast. We'll be back on Thursday. Until then, enjoy your Philly sports, and I will talk to you very soon.